Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here. That you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today's Gospel is a passage from chapter 23 of uh, St. Matthew, which is about Jesus speaking, as he often does, against the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Woe to you, hypocrites. I don't know what that phrase sounded like in Aramaic, the the actual language that our Lord spoke. But the tone was important because he used some of the sternest words of condemnation that could ever come from our Lord's lips. Woe to you. But it would have been in a tone of not just angry condemnation, but deep sorrow. Maybe he was shaking his head. Woe to you. Like a sadness that he had because he saw the state of the soul of these Pharisees and these scribes. I mean, he inaugurated his public ministry, his public teaching by pronouncing those eight benedictions or those eight blessings in the Sermon of the Mount. They were blessings. They were beautiful things. They must have been said with so much, so much joy. And yet here he is closing his ministry because this is chapter 23 so it's coming to the close with these 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 condemnations or prophesying eight woes on these perverse and unbelieving pharisees woes it's a woe it's a bad thing a woe as he says woe to you is not simply a bad thing that happens to you like a bad accident but when he's shaking his head at their at their state he seems to be drawing attention to deeply seated attitudes inner dispositions that carry with them responsibility that is as though he's saying woe to you pharisees this is your responsibility this is the way you've decided to act he starts with the beauty of the Beatitudes, the blessedness of really doing good, of loving, of being detached, of self-effacement, of poverty, of selflessness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Beautiful words. I mean, they must have felt people with this sense of fullness. In fact, the blessedness that he uses refers to fullness of life. When he says, blessed are you, the word apparently in the Greek New Testament is makarius, 
and Makarios was a Greek island that was considered, basically was considered paradise. If you were on Makarios, that was paradise. I remember as a child, there was a, there was a TV program called, I think it was called Paradise Island or something like that. And, and people who would go there would discover great adventures. They would come on a plane and with a little midget that would receive them. It was a bizarre show, but uh, it was a paradise island and it was a wonderful, adventurous place to go. That's what the Beatitudes meant to evoke, of course. But here it's the woes about something as though they've intentionally sabotaged their own life. Meaning that the woes have to do with what these men are doing intentionally and how they will be judged in the future. Their ability to set a good image for themselves, that is their ability to act with hypocrisy, must have meant that they were good at it. They knew how to act with hypocrisy. I would imagine that these were people that were spoken well of, that people said, oh, so-and-so scribe is, what a wonderful man. He's a great man. Maybe there were monuments, uh, you know, statues. People showed esteem and bowed to them, respected them. And honestly, people really did respect them. They, oh, this, this guy really knows the law. This guy's really good. And, But that seemed to be their ultimate goal, to receive that kind of esteem, that recognition, that respect that they got, that they garnered among others. Maybe other people sort of may have showed that respect but didn't really truly respect them. That's possible. But I'm sure they were capable of obtaining true, true respect from others. It made them feel good about themselves. Of course, our Lord himself didn't let the wool be covered over his eyes. Of course, we know that, but, but I'm sure they duped many. That's why our Lord is saying this. Woe to hypocrisy. Woe to those who show pretense, who are able to live a facade of goodness, but not real goodness. Woe to those who are beginning to lose sight of what is truly important, what is truly essential. He talks here about paying tithes on dill and mint and cumin, small spices that they made sure to pay tithes on, and that, that looked very good, that they even they, those little things that they were able to, to, to pay on. It was really not worth it. They were so tiny, these little these little spices. Or even more dramatic is this image, of course, being blind guides, but that they, that they strain out the gnat and swallow the camel. Like they just do not see what is important. Or to me, the, the image, image that is powerful that our Lord uses, you hypocrites, you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of plunder and self-indulgence. In these, in these times of COVID, we know about cleaning dishes and cleaning things to make sure that we don't get a virus. But imagine if you did all that cleaning outside, but in fact, you were taking in the virus. So let us, let us ask our Lord now, in this time of prayer, 
to not just see this as powerful imagery that is directed to other people, but to see to what degree, in, in how is it, in, in some way, could this be addressed to me? The problem of hypocrisy, the lack of rectitude of intention. It's interesting that the, the word hypocrisy comes from the Greek, the Greek word hypokritai, uh, which means really stage actors. So that means that a, a hypocritai works or acts in one way with the audience that he is looking at, but then he reverts to himself, to himself when there is no, no audience. So the, the word evokes the image of being an actor on a stage because we don't really know God the Father. So we must not think that this is unique to the Pharisees and to the scribes. Somehow that tone is addressed to us as well. I may indeed often want human approval or act for human approval or behave or speak for human approval and even applause. I may even often discern my own dignity, my worth, not from God the Father who looks at me right now as I, as I pray here, or who has been looking at me all night as I slept. I may indeed discern my dignity, not because God the Father looks at me, but from what other human beings, other people think of me. Do I seek to win approval? Do I wear some kind of facade to, to, to win that approval? Actors would wear masks, they would wear different makeups, just to, to make the people laugh and to win approval, to win applause. I think that the Lord understands that we might in some way act in this way, he says, take care not to perform righteous deeds in order that people may see them. Take care, he's saying, be careful, watch out. You might end up doing this. Clearly, the, the Pharisees did not take care. Well, they did take care that, that their righteous deeds were seen, and, and so the Lord laments this. We, we should think, how often do I try to ingratiate myself how often does it actually happen that I win applause? We have to be very honest with ourselves there. Of course, we, we know the concept of seeking that is, deserves a woe to you, but do I, actually, do I actually do this? Or am I sad when I'm forgotten, when I'm not listened to, when I'm passed over? These days we know and it's probably always been like that. Young people are, are under a lot of pressure. I'm sure that among the young people that you see today, those that have tattoos, <laughs> strange tattoos, I'm sure that they were in some way pressured to do that because it was quote unquote cool or that they have certain piercings here and there. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's possible they were completely, completely sincere that they deeply wanted this to express themselves, I suppose that's possible. And it is indeed normal to be pressured in one sense, 
But the only real way to counteract the, that pressure is to develop and reinforce this strong and deep sense that God is watching me. God is the one who's watching me. God is the one, God the Father is the one whom, whom I have to behave for. And Jesus is happy with me when I have that real presence of God. Do I do that? Perhaps you heard about that uh, story about the opening of the cause of Dora del Hoyo in 2012. She died in Rome in 2004. She had lived there for many years. She was, uh, uh, as you know, she worked in the administration of the domestic centers, the domestic care of the centers. And, uh, well, there are many testimonies about her, her piety, her spirit of work. But what often comes out is how, you could say, how hidden she was. And like in any cause of canonization, there were 300 letters, but mainly from women that worked with her or that lived with her over the years. And the irony is that, that her humble and hidden spirit of service meant that she was not that well known. She was always hidden. She was always doing stuff, but she was like, she was not on stage. She was not performing. She was not famous. Maybe other people will receive many testimonies because you could say they, they did things that brought them to public light, whether they were priests or bishops, or they did un undertake great things, and they did them in a way that people saw it and, and were impressed by their behavior. But perhaps she can help us, uh, she can intercede for us in, in help us in our spirit of service, but also in the fact that she was hidden. That everything she did, she really did in front of God. And we need saints like Dora to help us work in front of God. Today, today I'm going to work in front of God. I'm going to work in front of you, Lord. We need saints like Dora to help us have a true rectitude of intention. No doubt she learned this attitude of rectitude from St. Maria. This really developed her own identity. In fact, one of the women who wrote a testimony about her said that the flowers for the altar were to go between the candlesticks and not to come in contact with the altar cloth. So they would put a piece of glass or something or have the altar cloth not go right up to the edge so that when they would put the flowers there, they wouldn't put flowers directly on the altar cloth. And they were not to be put in vases with water. In this way, having nothing that could prolong their life, they would be a holocaust to the Lord. They would be a holocaust. I have to be a holocaust to the Lord. It's a beautiful image. This flower that is lying on the altar and that is somehow beautifying the altar there is a holocaust to the Lord. Lord, I want to act for you. We have to act for him. One time, St. Josria was in a get-together with some women 
and he noticed, or he asked, let's say he, well, yeah, he noticed that Dora wasn't there. And apparently he said, where is that daughter of mine who always wants to remain hidden? And he took advantage of that momentary absence to praise her very affectionately. Where's that daughter of mine who remains hidden? It's a marvelous program for us. It leads us ultimately to a strong and simple unity of life. We must have this and teach it. Dora Del Hoyo had it. Her work was always done in front of God, even though it was not always humanly recognized. The hours of cleaning, the hours of meals she prepared, they were not attributed to her, you could say. We may always want to work well. I'm sure we have that disposition. We want to be good professionals. We want to do work well. But maybe underlying there, there is also a desire to, to be noticed or to make at least a good impression. Isn't that what is behind prestige? We want prestige, but perhaps we want prestige too much. Prestige will come, good, fine. But is it at all possible that in some way our Lord is lamenting my attitude to work today? Is, there, is it at all possible that he says to me, woe to you, the way you do your work? May he say it perhaps with sorrow? I don't, I don't want to do things for myself, Lord. I don't want to do things to be recognized. I don't want to be overly sensitive to, to criticism. All those things that are very distasteful in a person or to develop in any way a sense of entitlement or uh, an attitude of rules don't apply to me, a lack of empathy that is an unwillingness to recognize or uh, identify with the feelings or the needs of others because I'm just doing this for me. We were told, I remember, when we were preparing to learn how to preach and many, many, many years ago now, but uh, we were told that the best thing that could happen to you is if you preach a meditation or preach a homily and you preach a very good homily, very good meditation, and the best thing that could happen is somebody said, oh, that was a wonderful, oh, I'm, I'm converted, I want to change. And the person asks, who was that priest? And when somebody asked that person who was moved, who was that priest who preached? They would say, I don't remember. I don't remember his name, I have no idea. That would be the best thing. So that the substance stays, but the person doing it disappears. It's very important that we, we ask ourselves, we have, to, we have to, of course, this is something we have to examine ourselves in. To do things to, to work to the crowd, to rather to impress others, is a great danger. It leads to a kind of weakening of the spine, to play to the crowd. 
In 2006, Pope Benedict spoke to theologians with a warning to speak, to meet with applause, to speak oriented to what men want to hear, to speak obeying the dictatorship of common opinions is considered a sort of prostitution of the word and of the soul. Wow. Prostitution of the word and the soul. Perhaps that's why the coat of arms of Don Javier was Deo Omnis Gloria. All is done for God. The hypocrite must act, speak, or gain approval. And in, in the end, he no longer has a true core. His, his identity is outside of himself. I remember there was, I remember seeing a program many, many years ago. I mean, I was, I must have been a teenager when I saw this. There was a famous uh, comedian. His name was, as I recall, his name was Richard Little. And he was known for his impressions. He could do any impression. He could, any politician, he was hilarious, right? I mean, he was just, he would just be spot on in all his, his impressions. And in this show, he was playing himself and he was dating this lady and he would constantly be doing these impressions, impressions, and she would laugh and laugh and laugh. But then at, finally she wanted to get to know him because he was always doing one impression after the other. And um, finally, she said, okay, st stop doing impressions. You know, he was doing Nixon, and then he was doing uh, Gerald Ford and, then, and Ford, and then he was doing Sammy Davis Jr. Jr. And he was doing all these impressions. But she said, I, I, don't, I don't want any more impressions. Just be you. Just be yourself. And then suddenly, he kind of crumpled onto himself and... Uh, he said, tell me something about you, she said. He said, well, I, 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 have a, I have a cold sore on the back of my tongue, or something like that, like something really, really inconsequential, right? And um, he seemed to be, like, very, very shallow, in other words. And that, it, it, the idea seemed to be that he seemed to be just so involved in imitating others that he's kind of lost an identity of who he really was. Because he had no longer had that core. His identity was always outside of himself, always acting in accord with an audience and granting that that would grant him their approval. Our founder, St. Josemaria, said that if, if we really fought off the school of hypocrisy, we would live unity of life. Not only that, he said, there would be a revolution. In Furrow, he said, if we Christians really lived in accordance with our faith, the greatest revolution of all times would take place. The effectiveness of our co-redemption depends on each one of us. You should meditate on this. Imagine the revolution that we really lived if we were truly living that unity. Why does it happen that 
a person comes to deserve that phrase, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Why does that happen? Why did it happen to them? Why did they so desire to be, to be praised? Well, there too, the answer of Jesus is quite clear. This happens to a person ultimately who does not know God the Father. That's the great tragedy of many lives, that they do not know the Father. They may know about God the Father, but they do not personally have that encounter. His, they're not aware of his love for them. He cannot be just a benevolent stranger who runs the universe, but somehow is on the periphery of our life. As our Lord said, your heavenly Father who sees you in secret will repay you for giving alms. Your heavenly Father who sees in secret will repay you for praying. Your heavenly Father who sees you, who sees what is hidden will repay you for your fasting. So we, we can't compartmentalize our life in any way. I remember when we used to go to the cafeteria in my school, they'd give us these trays, and they weren't simple trays. They had trays that had com compartments on them. And there was a large rectangle that was in the center that was the, the, the rectangle for the main dish. And then there was a square, and that was for the milk carton. And then there was a, the, a long, skinny rectangle that was for your cutlery. And then every serving had its place. It was a little rectangle for the dessert. And, and uh, you compartmentalized all that food and all that stuff on that tray. And then you would eat it, you would bring it back, and then they would just clean it with a, a thing, a water thing. So we didn't even have plates you know, directly on these compartmentalized trays. And maybe my life is a bit compartmentalized one type of behavior in professional life, another when I'm in family life, another when I enter the center, another when I'm on the street, compartmentalized, one for the fork, one for the, one for the dessert. Of course, we know we have to rectify often. Not doing this for recognition. And to ask the Lord, really, for that true unity of life. Our Blessed Mother will intercede for us and grant it to us now. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Mm -hmm.